0: Last October, when uh, Lucas and our daughter, Megan, still lived in New York, uh, Beth and I drove to see them for a long weekend. Uh, Normally, we leave really early in the morning, but that particular week, we couldn't leave until after lunch on Thursday. Our game plan was to get in the car and drive as far as we could until we were so tired we couldn't drive any further. When we made it to Ohio, we started looking for a place to stop because we were tired. But we found out there were no rooms in the inn. (laughs) Because, and we didn't know this when we left, it was opening day the next day for deer hunting season. And so we just kept driving. Even though we were tired... And we even decided to lower our expectations. We were willing to spend the night in a cockroach motel if we had to. You know the ones you drive by? We we even pulled into one community, were looking for a place to sleep, and went in. They didn't have any room as well either. And so we got back on the highway, and we kept driving. Until we got into the hills, and it's dark out. And it's late. You know those white lines on the side of the road which are to help you drive? They were going like this. Oh, I was starting to go like that, and we're like, man, I'm just holding on, both hands on the wheel. We're both just looking. What are we going to do? We couldn't find anywhere. And then we found a sign, a sign for a rest area and pulled in. We were delighted to find about 25 semi-drivers at that rest area sleeping in their cabs. And so we felt safe with them there, so we pulled in next to them, locked the doors, and tried to sleep amidst the cacophony and the aroma of diesel engines. By the way, I have a lot of respect for truckers who work hard to deliver the items that we need. They're underappreciated, aren't they? Uh, Beth and I have a soft spot in our heart because many years ago when our daughters were young, we're heading out to Colorado and we blew a tire on the side of the road and we had to pull everything out of the van, our four little daughters on the side of the road, and I'm trying to get that spare down underneath and I didn't know how to do that. Anyway, a (laughs) semi-driver stopped and helped change our tire. So if that's how you earn your living, thank you for your work. Now, that night, we didn't sleep much at all. Uh, We did save some money on a hotel. (laughs) Have you ever been so tired, you just can't go on? Some of you are experiencing that right now, as sleepiness and sermons seem to go together. Well, we're jumping back into our study of Genesis chapter, or Genesis, we'll be in chapter two today today. And we're going to see how God established a rhythm of work and worship, a rhythm of labor, of working hard, and then rest and refreshment. If you missed uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, we spent eight weeks in Genesis chapter 1. Those sermons will begin airing on Moody Radio next weekend. Uh, those air at 11 in the morning and 7.30 at night, or you can go on our website uh, to catch up. Uh, during these next weeks, which will take us all the way to the weekend before Easter, we'll be in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, one other uh, item I want you to be aware of, parents, we're going to have a child dedication uh, service in two weeks. If that's something of interest to you, just let us know. I'm going to invite you to stand now, and we're going to read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. And while we're standing, didn't Pastor Justin do a super job last weekend? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, teaching us that the best is yet to come. Uh, Beth and I were in our car driving up to Wisconsin to spend New Year's Day with my dad after my mom passed a little more than a year ago. Myself and my sisters try to spend all the time we can with my dad, and we were able to worship while we're driving and listening to that fantastic sermon. So, as you're standing, take a breath, and let's remember as we take that breath that the word inspired means breathed out. And so God breathed out his word because he wanted us to have it. And with that, becomes, with that comes the fact that God's word is inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and it's authoritative. And so we're going to give our attention to God's word today. The Bible in the book of Isaiah says that God looks to the one who trembles at his word. That shows we need to have great respect and reverence for the word of God. So I'm going to invite you to read together these first three verses. Let's read it with reverence and in a spirit of rejoicing that we serve a God who's revealed himself. Let's read together. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You can be seated. So, God, here we are at the start of a new year. And Lord, we know that you're going to be faithful this year. Lord, we also know that you want us to grow. You don't want us to stay the same. And so, Lord, I pray that even through this time, Holy Spirit, as you are our teacher, that we would understand your word, that we would interpret it correctly, and then that you would apply it to our lives so that our behavior changes, so that our thoughts change, so that the words that come out of our mouth changes, so that the way we live, the way we give, the way we spend our time, uh, Lord, is all under uh, your sovereignty. And so, Lord, have your way. Uh, Lord, as we gather now, you've called us to continue to worship you. Thank you for your word. Be our teacher now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here's a one-sentence summary of the message today. Because God rested, we must rediscover rest in order to be refreshed. One of the best ways to study a passage of Scripture is not just to read it and immediately start thinking about application. No, it's really important. Read it and then make some observations. What do you see in the text? When I did that this week, I wrote down eight observations. Observation number one, since verse numbers and chapter divisions were added after the Bible was written, these three verses belong more with chapter one. Why? Well, because they serve as the capstone to the six days of creation. Observation number two, the seventh day is mentioned three times. This is the only day given this kind of attention, which shows how important the seventh day is to God. One could argue that the last day is the best day. Observation number three, there are three main verbs in this passage. Observe, the the verb finished used twice, the word rested used twice, and then the verb blessed used once. Number four, each verb is explained Explicitly associated with the seventh day. Observe, on the seventh day, God finished. He rested on the seventh day, so God blessed the seventh day. Number five, each verb is associated with the completed creation work of God. God finished his work that he had done. God rested on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. And because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. In each clause, number six, God is the grammatical subject. Subject, observe. God finished, he rested, God bless. Number seven, the seventh day is the only day where we do not read this phrase. There was evening and morning. One commentator suggests this is because creation is complete while the seventh day continues. And finally, number eight, creation was called good in all its parts, but only the seventh day, watch this, is called holy. And so let's walk through these three verbs, and in the process, let's recapture a sense of awe of what the Almighty has done and it's my prayer that we will worship him with wonder as we take a deep look at his word. Number one, finished. God always finishes what he begins. According to verse one, the Creator has completely created his creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts. Of them. The word finished in verses one and two means to accomplish or complete. The heavens are finished, the earth complete. And then he adds, and all the host of them, meaning everything, it's all finished. There are no loose ends, there are no modifications needed. This is a powerful argument against the error of evolution. God created his creation in six literal 24-hour days. Now, in contrast to verse 2 of chapter 1, if you look there, it says that the earth was formless and void. And what we'll see in chapter 2 is that the earth is now fully finished and furnished. Seven times in Genesis 1, God calls his creation good. The Hebrew word translated as good means well-pleasing. And then, after surveying all that he had created, God explodes with this exclamation of praise. Join me in verse 31 of chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? very good. This is God's final stamp of approval on what he has accomplished. So what had been pronounced good individually on each day is now called very good collectively, which could be translated this way as certainly good, surely good, exceedingly great and mighty. As God gazed at everything he made, from the smallest subatomic particle to the largest galaxies spinning in space. God is celebrated how everything was complete, finished, and he reflected, and it all reflected his glory exactly as he planned. As we pointed out before, God is the central and supreme character of creation. His name appears 31 times in 31 verses in Genesis chapter 1. His existence is assumed, and God has left his fingerprints all over his creation. His creation was precise, it was prompt, and it was perfect, and it provides his, and it shows his final stamp on everything that he has made when he declares it very good, and it is finished. Now, let's bring this to where we are today. If you're a born again believer, I have such good news for you. Do you know that Philippians 1 6 says that you can have confidence that the work God began in you, He'll finish in your life? That's such good news because for some of us, we're like, ah, I've really messed up. Listen, I'm sure of this, not I hope or maybe. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can layer 1 Thessalonians 5.24 with that, a wonderful promise. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh, and if we fast forward to the end of the Bible... Listen to these words of completion, Revelation 21.6, and he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Because God rested, you and I must rediscover rest in order to be refreshed. Well, let's look, number two, at rested. God rests because creation is complete. Now, when you think about it, rest is one of the most attractive commodities in life today. People purchase possessions. They travel to various places. They pursue pleasure, all in this like elusive attempt to find what? Rest. To find relaxation. Some of us work really hard at resting, (laughs) which is contradictory, Well, would you notice, verses 2 and 3, that God rested on the seventh day. God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. The Hebrew word Shabbat or rest does not mean God was worn out. He's not weary after a rough work week. He's not tired because of a long drive. No, it's important to keep this truth in mind. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. God does not need to replenish his energy Psalm one twenty one four. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Hebrew word rested means not to do work, to cease from labor. Since God completed creation, there was nothing more for Him to create. It's finished. And we see that in Exodus chapter twenty verse eleven. For in Six days, God made the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. But he did more than just stop working. You know, when you read the Bible, you're like, I know I've read this, but it's as if it's for the first time. That happened to me this week. Check out this verse in Exodus chapter 31. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. Okay, I knew that, and was what? refreshed god rested he rejoiced and he was refreshed the idea behind that is that god was delighted in his creation he was fully content with what he had created, much like a sculptor who, after he or she is done with the masterpiece, steps back and looks at it and enjoys it and rejoices in the finished masterpiece. Psalm one hundred four thirty one: May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Because God rested, we must rediscover rest to be refreshed. That leads to the third verb, blessed. God sets apart the seventh day as special. So let me ask, you can shout it out. What's your preferred day of the week? Go ahead, shout it out. What's your favorite day of the week? Fridays, Fridays? okay. What are some other days? Sunday, somebody had to give the church answer on that. Sunday, (laughs) So i got Friday, Sunday, any other days? Saturday, Saturday. okay. For me, it's Monday because that's my day off, which I don't always do a good job taking off. But do you know God has a favorite day? God has a preferred day of the week. Join me in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. And made it holy. That word "bless" means to greet. And even mean to salute. To kneel. By attaching special value. When you combine the word blessed with the word holy. Holy means set apart from ordinary use. To dedicate and distinguish something. So the seventh day is unique and exalted because God sanctified it by declaring it holy. And so when we set aside one day in seven for sacred use, God blesses us as well. So perhaps you're thinking in your mind, well, Sabbath, that's Saturday, we worship on Sunday. How, How does all that work itself out? Well, here's how I work it out. Every Saturday, we should remember God as creator, and every Sunday, we should celebrate Jesus as redeemer because of the resurrection. On the seventh day, God rested. Why? Because he finished creation. On the first day, Sunday, Christ rose because he finished redemption. Okay, so we look at it this way. When Saturday rolls around, remember that God is the creator and you are God's special creation. And then on Sunday, give glory to God for your salvation as his new creation. Now, sadly, let me just state the obvious. In our culture, most people don't mark Saturday or Sunday Sunday as significant or special. Now, because God rested, we must rediscover rest to be refreshed. A year and a half ago, uh, we preached through the Ten Commandments and we summarized the fourth commandment this way. Let's preserve the Sabbath principle by setting aside Sunday or another day as the sun's day. We give God one day in seven because seven out of seven belong to him. Really, for the Christian, every day is Sunday. And we were encouraged to contemplate some questions. Uh, Let's contemplate them again, because if you're like me, you forgot them. In fact, when I saw these, I'm like, did we go over these? But yes, we did. Number one, do you have one day a week in which you unplug in order to rest? Number two, what one decision will you make to get your calendar back into rhythm. Number three, what disciplines will you implement? Because it'll take some disciplines to make sure you're revering God on one specific day. And number four, this really has got to come down, what one activity will you stop doing? Is there a family activity that you've filled up And it's keeping you from worship. It's keeping you from regular, committed worship with God's people on a weekly basis. Is it a sporting event? Is it a travel league? Is it some other kind of activity? What one activity will you stop doing? And what's one thing you'll start doing to demonstrate you're ready to rely on the Lord? Now here's some additional action steps to help us flesh this out. Number one is you seek to joyfully tithe, that means 10% of the financial treasures God has entrusted to you, make sure you're also tithing the time God has given to you. Well, how's that work out? Well, tithe 10%. Most people work about 40 hours a week. So what would it look like if every Christ follower served at least four hours a week? Not serve themselves, but serve Christ either in the community through one of our Go Team partners or another ministry God would lead you to or right here at Edgewood. Could you imagine how our community would change if people did that. Number two, prepare for worship before you arrive. So most of us think weekend worship prepares us to handle the rest of the week, right? And that's certainly true, but I wonder what would happen if we flipped that. What would happen if we treated the other six days as preparation for our time of weekly worship. If we looked at those six days to help prepare us to give God our best when we gather here to worship. Number three, discipline yourself to gather weekly with God's people. I saw a stat this week. It won't surprise you, but it's brand new. One-third of Americans never attend worship services That's up from 25% before the start of the pandemic. So that just knocked a lot of people out. And those who aren't serious about their walk with Christ, it's knocked them out uh, completely. Maybe that describes you today. Maybe you know, man, I got to get back into the rhythm. Well, here's a suggestion. Pick a preferred service. We have three options, Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. And then when something changes in your schedule that particular week, then attend, gather with God's people at another time, either Sunday morning or Saturday night. I saw it last night, like three or four couples were here Saturday night, they're usually here Sunday, which means they had some kind of commitment today, so they gathered as God's people last night. If you're not able to gather in person, engage online. If you're engaging online... Perhaps it's time for you to start gathering in person with God's people. If you've been out of the habit, uh, it's time to get back into the habit. You can have bad habits or good habits. Gathering with God's people is a good habit. Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together as is the, here's the word, the habit of some. From my perspective, most people don't say, I'm never going to church again. Here's what happens. They get out of the habit of going, then other things fill that time, and pretty soon weeks turn into months, which can turn into years. Number four, deliberately slow the pace in your family. Some of us are so overscheduled, there's no time for rest or refreshment, or even rejoicing together. Number five, spend time with your neighbors on your day of rest. Number six, repent and receive the salvation rest that Jesus offers. You see, Sabbath is all about rest, and instead of being busy and working to be accepted by God, it's time to believe and rest in your acceptance. See, the promise of a temporary Sabbath rest is a picture of the eternal salvation rest that only Christ provides. And once you repent, believe, and receive him, you will find the only rest that will satisfy your soul. Hebrews 4, 9 and 11, 9 through 11 read like this, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one will fall by the same sort of disobedience. Friends, if you shake it down, there are only two ways to get to heaven. You can try to work your way in, but that will never work. Or you can get in by the work of another. We must rest from all efforts to be saved by our own works because only in Christ will we find total rest. <clears throat> this week when I was um, working on the sermon and percolating on the text, I thought, well, what's, how can we fully understand what it means that God has finished? And my mind went to Jesus on the cross when he's getting ready to offer himself as final sacrifice for our sins. And he said several things from the cross, but one of the things he said was a Greek word, tetelestai. It means it is finished. And Jesus trumpeted that word loudly from the cross. It's recorded in John 19.30. It wasn't a whimper. It wasn't like this sigh of defeat. No, it was the cry of a conqueror, a shout of victory, a declaration of triumph. This verb is in the perfect tense, which means it's an action that has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present. We could translate it like this. It was finished, and as a result, it is forever done. It was finished in the past. It's still finished in the present. It will continue to be finished in the future. All has been done that needed to be done. Nothing more is needed. So when Jesus shouted, Tetelestai, we're like, what does that mean? Well, it's Greek. So we could really say it's Greek to me, right? It doesn't really really do anything for us. The phrase, it is finished, we sort of get that. But if you lived in the first century and you heard the word tetelestai, you would have a lot of word pictures running through your mind. For instance, a farmer would say this word to describe an animal that had no imperfections. He would look at his lamb admirably and declare, tetelestai, a priest would examine a sacrificial animal for blemishes. He'd look everywhere, and if it was perfect, he would shout out, Tetelestai! A carpenter, after finishing a perfect piece of furniture, would smile and say, Tetelestai! An artist, admiring his finishing touch on a canvas that needed no correction or improvement, would survey his work and then pronounce... Tetelestai, a servant, would run to his master after faithfully finishing all the work assigned to him and report, Tetelestai. A son, after being sent on a mission by his father, would not return until he took care of every detail. And when he was finished with everything, he would smile <coughs> and he would report to his dad, Tetalesti. Got kind of worked up there. I look like kind of losing my voice. <laughs> a prisoner, check this out, was given a certificate of debt. And that certificate was nailed to his cell door so everybody could see his crimes and his sentence. When the prisoner served all his time, that indictment was taken down and the judge would write the word "tetalestai" over his crimes and his sentence. That freed prisoner was given that document and so as he walked around and people wondered why he was out of jail, he could hold that up and say "tetalestai." And perhaps most importantly, this was a banking term. When someone had a debt and it was paid off, the creditor would write tetelestai on the certificate of debt signifying it was paid in full. I can't wait to do that when God pays off our mortgage here. We might write that in Greek on it. Several years ago, archaeologists in Egypt uncovered the office of a CPA. Now, I don't know if they called them that back then, but they discovered a stack of bills with the Greek word tetelestai inscribed across each one to show the debt was paid in full. Friends, lean in. It is finished. There are no defects or slivers. The picture is perfect. The job has been performed exactly to the specification. This prisoner is set free. The debt has been forgiven. Paid in full means once something's paid for, you never have to pay for it again. You'd be foolish to even try. Now, let's bring this all together. Listen to John chapter 19, verse 28. We'll add that to verse 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, it is finished. Okay, now let's go way back. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. It is finished because all has been completed. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, why does that matter? Well, thank you for that. I know a little Greek now. No, it actually matters a lot. Here's why. Number one, since Jesus paid it all, there is nothing more that needs to be done. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project. It's not even a 50-50 arrangement where you do your part and Jesus does his part. No, Jesus has done it all so you don't have to. Can I speak bluntly? You're thinking, why are you asking? You're going to do it anyway. All right, well, here goes. Stop performing. Just stop. Your acceptance is not based upon anything you do. It's based on what has already been done for you. You see, many of us secretly believe that there's something we must do in order to be saved. But listen, no amount of personal reformation, no keeping of a New Year's resolution, no church attendance, baptism, or good works will get you any closer to God. Sin is only forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and His finished work on your behalf. I had the opportunity to have a gospel conversation with someone about a week ago, I know this gentleman fairly well, and in the course of our conversation, he kept saying that he was trying to surrender. Well, after hearing that for a while, I stopped him. I said, stop, time out. It's time to stop trying and start trusting And I told him, you don't have to do anything because everything's already been done for you. It's time to surrender. And he listened, he nodded, and then he said, well, I'm trying. (laughs) And I told him, there's no such thing as trying. And because I know him well, I decided to be blunt, and I said, you either do it or you don't. And I could tell that resonated with him, but as far as I know, He's not trusted Christ yet. Can you hear this cry from the cross? Tetelestai, it is finished. Will you continue to perform or keep punishing yourself through acts of penance? If you're all about try more, listen to this cry more. He shouted it. Why? So that we'll get it. The divine demands have been met in the divine done. And I wonder if you're ready to embrace the gospel of done. We've said this before, but it bears repeating. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Application number two. And this is where it comes to us personally. Jesus' work is finished, but ours is just beginning. You see, once we surrender and receive Christ into our lives, we're responsible to take the message of his completed work to all people, all nations, all people groups, to people who've never heard the gospel and to our neighbors who've heard it often. Acts 1.8 says we're to go with the gospel of done But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, the area you know well, and in all Judea, a little bit further out, and Samaria, that would be our enemies even, the people we don't really care for, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' work is continuing, though now it's done through us. When DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills suffered a cardiac arrest during the game Monday night, fellow players started praying. During a time of great need, they did what? They turned to God, who's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Do you know while these events were still unfolding, on Monday night, one ESPN reporter choked out these words, quote, Sports are important, and suddenly they are not. On Wednesday, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky decided to pray for DeMar on the spot on live TV on ESPN with two hosts sitting at the table he's at. And if you watch that, you'll see his lips quiver as would yours because he knew he had a moment. And this is what he said. He said, a lot of people are saying, I'm sending thoughts and prayers. And he said... Live, I just sensed that I need to pray. And he bowed his head and prayed. The other two bowed their heads as well. And during the prayer, one of them said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Like giving an amen to the prayer. On Thursday morning during a hospital press conference, The doctor said, DeMar asked in writing who won the game. (laughs) The doctors replied to him, yes, you won. You've won the game of life. And after the trach was taken out, he FaceTimed with his teammates. And he kind of went like this then made a heart. This is a big, tough NFL guy. Did you hear what he said to his teammates? (laughs) This is what he said. I love you, boys. (laughs) Sounds like some softening going on. Amazingly, I watched former NFL player Benjamin Watson use this tragedy as a platform to share the gospel on CNN with Anderson Cooper. Do you know Anderson Cooper's background? Let's just say he's not a Christ follower yet. Now, before you watch this, it's easy to watch this and go, yeah, you go. I want you to watch it and think, how would you do it if you had one minute and you're on CNN with Anderson Cooper? How would you handle that one minute? We're going to play this clip. Uh, it won't be online for copyright reasons, but check this out. Now, let me make two applications. And these are going to involve a stretch for us. See, it's, it's cool to watch that, right, and to cheer. But let's ask this question. God, what would you have for me? And so here's the first application. Pray for people Right away. I didn't catch the game yesterday, but I saw what happened before the game between the Jaguars and Titans. Any of you see that? Okay, during the pregame, all the players met at midfield on their knees, and they prayed. Friends, don't miss this. We're in a cultural moment here. People are thinking about prayer And they're thinking about matters of eternity. And God has called us to be ready for such a time as this. So when you're prompted to pray, do it right then and right there, out loud if possible. Remember, that guy prayed at his workplace. Could you imagine what would happen if people started praying like that on campuses, in grocery stores? at ball games, in homes, in neighborhoods, in restaurants, and in churches. This past week, I was at a coffee shop, and a guy sat down maybe 10 feet from me, and he looked over at me. I smiled. I said, hi. He said, hi back. I said, hey, how you doing? And he responded, and he said, well, I just got out of the hospital. I had heart surgery yesterday. And I said, whoa, I bet that made you think of eternity. And he said, well, actually it did. And then I brought up the Damar situation. We ended up having a conversation. I asked him for his name, and I was able to pray for him and give him a gospel pamphlet. Friend, you're going to be in places and opportunities this week. Would you pray right away? Number two, boldly share the gospel with someone this week. Fellow Christ follower, let's be ready to give an answer for the hope within us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So we got to make sure we're walking with Christ. And always be prepared, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We are here for such a time as this, here's my prayer, and I'm wondering if you would join me. Oh, that God would awaken His church, that God would use this tragedy, as Psalm 85 verse six says. Oh Lord, would you revive us again, that we may rejoice in you? A young man came up to a pastor one day, and he asked this question: What must I do to be saved? The preacher replied oh, I'm sorry. It's too late. The man's like, what? Are you kidding me? You mean there's nothing I can do? The preacher just shook his head and he said, no, it's too late. It's already been done. The only thing you can do is believe. Stop trying and start trusting. I wonder if there's someone here ready to repent and receive the salvation rest that Jesus freely offers. Would you bow your heads and pray this with me quietly? God, thank you for creating me and for sending Jesus who kept all of your commands because I sure haven't. I sure can't. And frankly, many times I don't even want to. God, I confess that I've not been resting or revering you. In fact, I'm restless. Uh, My sins are consuming me. And so I confess that I'm a sinner, and I'm ready right now to repent of my sins. I believe you paid the price for my sins when you died on the cross, and you showed your power by rising from the dead. On the third day, I now receive you as my creator, my savior, my mediator, and my Lord. Oh, Jesus, come into my life and give me rest, the rest that comes from your completed, finished, final work on the cross, and lead me to follow you faithfully as your disciple from now on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.